And welcome in. It's the Doug Russell Podcast. Glad to have you alongside for today's show. I've been looking forward to this one for a while, just because I've known for a while that this book was going to come out. We don't talk to a lot of authors on this show, but I think that Bucks fans are really going to dig this book, and and hopefully you'll learn something from it, because I've already learned a few things about two-time NBA MVP Giannis Adetokounmpo. Of course, coming up tonight, it is Game 1. As I record this, it'll be Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals between the Bucks and the Atlanta Hawks from Pfizer Forum. But joining me here on the podcast, uh, she's written the new book, Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP. Mirren Fader joining me here on the Doug Russell Podcast. Mirren, I appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is great. Absolutely. So take us back to when you decided that you were going to want to write a book about Giannis, because, I mean, we've been living here with Giannis at Edecumpo since that day that he was drafted in 2013 when David Stern, the late David Stern, kind of very methodically pronounced uh, Antetokounmpo, and we were—I I remember the next day I interviewed him, and I'm like, "How do you pronounce your name?" And he—he he was just this wide-eyed kid, and he's not a wide-eyed kid anymore. He is—he has grown into, as the book title uh, says, and as everyone knows, he is a—he is an MVP of the NBA in every way, shape, and form. It's truly remarkable going from that 15-win season to what the Bucks are now. So. Yeah, I actually got into this project um, by doing a story on Giannis and his youngest brother, Alex, um, two years ago for Bleacher Report, uh, where I was previously. And I thought I was just going to write on Alex. He was a top player in the area at the time. I'm sure your listeners uh, came to a lot of his games. And, you know, but once I saw him in the room with Giannis, there was so much chemistry between them. And, you know, Giannis was so protective of him and, you know, just wanted to know everything he was thinking and doing. And I just, I saw a different side of Giannis than I had seen. You know, everyone talks about his athleticism and, you know, the freakish things he could do on the court, but I I really saw a more vulnerable side. And so I thought maybe, maybe I can turn this story into a book. I think Giannis's own story deserves attention. You know, I think we pretty much know nothing between he uh, was born into a really hard life. Um, they sold trinkets on the street, and now he's an NBA MVP. So hopefully this book can do, um, you know, a little connective uh, bridge between those two things. When you first spoke with uh, Alex Adetokounmpo, and, and yes, he's, you know, beginning his professional career now. I mean, what were some of those interactions? You talk about the chemistry, but what what are we talking about? Are we talking about maybe Giannis being more of a father figure since Giannis's father, Charles, passed away a few years ago? What What was the interaction? What was that like? I mean, he definitely filled in that role. That was very clear to me of the father figure. But one moment in particular really stood out. Uh, I was interviewing Alex um, in the basement area, and um, we were just talking, and it's a couple hours in, and his phone rings, and then he starts speaking in Greek. And um, he hangs up, and I was like, who's that? And he's like, oh, it's my brother. And I was just like, which which one? <laughs> you know, <laughs> And because there's multiple brothers. And he was like, oh, that was Giannis. And I was like, isn't he upstairs? You know, because Giannis was there that day. And he was like, yeah, he just wanted to make sure that I was okay in the interview, that I was doing okay. And I just thought, <laughs> oh, my God, come on. But I, it's, 
so adorable, you know? And so I was just like, wow, <laughs> there's there's protective and there's Yana's protective. So I was just like, oh my gosh, I love that. So I was like, is he like that often? He was like, yeah, Giannis is always making sure that I'm okay. And then we went to the practice facility after that. And the way, the focus uh, with which Giannis was watching Alex train, it was, I mean, he was just, his eyes were squinting. He was very intent tracking the flight of every single shot. Um, he told Giannis told me he gets more nervous watching Alex play than playing in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, so having said all that, I was just like, wow, uh, this is a story about both of them. Well, and it's not usual that NBA superstars have their entire family with them. Right. And that... As you know, you kind of uncover some of the the layers to the Antetokounmpo story as a family. I mean, when Giannis got over here, he was 18 years old. He didn't speak the language very well. uh, And he was really, as we've learned, very, very homesick. And I I don't know what would have happened had the Bucks not tried to get his entire family over here. How important was that to him and, and how dicey was that situation? Yeah, it was critical and it was a really tenuous situation. I mean, the family was denied twice before it finally happened in terms of getting the proper visas and paperwork to come over. But, you know, I think one of the big reveals of the book is how lonely Giannis felt waiting for them, not knowing if they'd be able to move here. And he actually said, you know, to his agent, like, if you can't get my family here, like, I'm going home. Um, and I don't think a lot of people realized he was that close to quitting the NBA if that not if that hadn't worked out, because, you know, in his mind, what good is having money and success if you don't have the people that are there that you love the most with you? Um, and imagine not knowing the language, you know, very well and not knowing where things are and learning what different foods are and just being so fish out of water and your team is losing miserably. Everything is going wrong. Your parents aren't here. It was really hard for him. I mean, physically, he's used to sleeping in a bed with them. And now he's in this huge bed all by himself in America. It was really, really jarring. And John Hammond, um, the GM at the time, who's now with the Magic, was trying so, so hard every single day. And um, Senator Coles, uh, who was owning the team at the time, he had all these political connections and they were trying to work every single one of them you could possibly imagine to try to get the family over here. How big was this bed? I've seen Giannis and his brothers. How <laughs> <laughs> they were all, they were all together in the same bed. That I did That's that part. I didn't know. Yeah, I know. It must have been a very large bed. It's funny because one of the one of my favorite interviews was with Ross Geiger, who was like a team assistant video coordinator at the time. And Giannis spent like every day with Ross his rookie year. They were besties. And Ross had this couch, but obviously didn't fit Giannis. So his like entire legs would just like dangle off the side. And, you know, they got a little stool to put there to, to help him. <laughs> but uh, yeah, not 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 great. <laughs> <laughs> you, you you talk about and 
His older brother, who now is his teammate, Thanasis Antetokounmpo, um, member of the Bucks bench squad, if you will. I mean, he had come over to the United States. He had played a little bit. You know, he was in the Knicks organization for a little while as well. But Giannis had come from, as we've all come to understand, very little. And when he came over here, all of a sudden, I mean, even his rookie contract, he's still making more money than he could ever fathom, he could ever possibly imagine. How did he spend his money, and and how much of an eye-opener was that to him that, you know, he came from nothing, had almost nothing, and then all of a sudden, he's a very young man, but a young man of means. Yeah, it was really jarring, and he just couldn't comprehend it. You know, it was almost, like, offensive. Like, how can one person make this much money? He was deeply hesitant to spend money then, and still is. Like, he hasn't bought a pair of sneakers to this day. And um, one of my favorite anecdotes about the money thing was that um, this guy, I forgot what his role was. He was, like, a team not a team attendant, but somebody like that who was around the team often. And he had to go pick Giannis up for practice because he didn't drive. And he's like in Giannis's apartment and he spots all these envelopes and he's like, Giannis, like, what is this? Why do you have so many envelopes? What's in there? And he's like, Oh, that's all my per diem money. So basically the, the bugs wow. give players, you know, per diem and sure. he did not spend a dime. He was like, Oh, I'm saving it for my family, you know? And it's just everything was saved. He, he felt so guilty when he would buy things. He just could not let go of what it was like being a kid, not knowing where your next meal would come from. How is he today about that? Has it has it loosened up at all for him? It's loosened up for sure. I know he knows that, you know, he's okay, but it took it took some time, like even just to move to a separate apartment from you know, his mom, when it was like, I think 2016, the 17 season, that was a big deal. He's still hesitant, though. He doesn't, even though obviously he will have generational wealth for so long and his brothers and, you know, their children, it's just there's, you can't really get rid of that part of you, you know? And I think um, Josh Oppenheimer, Buck's assistant coach, one of my favorite quotes from him was that he was like, I think Giannis worked so hard because he's afraid of losing everything or something like that. That was one of the quotes early on in the book. So, yeah, I think it, it drives him. And I think he would be a different person if he just said, oh, I'll, I'll just get whatever I want. Speaking of losing, you and I have spoken before about the the losing that had predated <laughs> the, uh, the the arrival of Giannis. It was. I didn't mean to laugh. I did not mean to laugh. No, Bucks it's fans, I see it's you. bad. I honor the struggle. It was bad. The nineties were bad. They but were. I see you, and we're here. <laughs> Uh, sections of empty seats at the Bradley Center. Um, it wasn't good. I mean, it was like COVID every night without any fans uh, playing in front right. of uh, you know the basketball team. So how much do you think that that weighs on his head? Because very early on in his career, he said something to me, and I forgot about this for a long time, but he said something to me during, I think it was a post-practice interview, and he said something about, you know, I understand that the franchise that my sh- something about the the fran the my shoulders hold the franchise or the franchise is on my shoulders or, or words mm-hmm. to that effect. How how deeply does does he feel that? Because having been here now for a while since 2013, that's nine years. He's got to understand what predated him, and it wasn't great. I mean, he understands it very deeply. I mean he understands also the context in that he is the generational player they've been waiting for since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar left. And 
he understands the trauma that that put on the city and um, how horrible the 90s were. Um, just bad luck after bad luck, bad um, ownership. Like, he knows all that. And, you know, going through that 15-win season rookie year was such a such a window for him to say, okay, but I want us to win. I think we can win. You know, nobody would say that about the Bucks after that 2013 to 14 season. But he always had that, like, you know, sparkle in his eye that was just like, yeah, we can do this. And I think for him to stay, he knows they can't afford to squander his prime um, because it is on him. Like, yes, they got other pieces. Yes, it's a team effort. We, we know that. But so much of it does fall on him. But he's always wanted that. You know, when, when Jabari Parker came in uh, 2014 to 15, people were saying it's Jabari's team and, and Giannis is going to be the sidekick. And Giannis was like, no, no, no. I have worked. I was here last year. You know, this is my team. So I think ever since that point, he's just really taken ownership and, and understands that the reason that the Bucks are still in Milwaukee is largely because of him. The reason the Bradley Center was torn down is largely because of him. Well, he gets congratulations um, for that by itself. Congrats. But <laughs> um, <laughs> now it's the next step. Now are the Bucks going to win and make history? So. You brought up Jabari Parker, and and that was the narrative that you know the Bucks were so terrible in Giannis's rookie season, the one season that Larry Drew was here. And look, I covered that team, and that team quit. Um, and I don't. Right. I'm not saying that Giannis quit. I think that he was someone who was just kind of thrown into the mix a little bit. Didn't get that much playing time. Certainly wasn't a developed NBA player. But I think a lot of the players on that team, frankly, quit on on Larry Drew, who I, I believe deserved better. But they the, the the payoff was supposed to be Jabari Parker, and these two were supposed to be running mates, and they were supposed to be the one and the two. And whether it was Jabari's team or Giannis's team, I mean, certainly their careers obviously have gone in. 180 degree, uh, you know, separate degree differences from from each other. Jabari's bounced around from team to team, and Giannis is the cornerstone of not only the Bucks but arguably the NBA. Especially, uh, we'll see how the rest of, of these playoffs go. But how was their relationship in the early going? Was there a rivalry? Did did they get along? In your opinion, or? Was it just, uh, you know, maybe Jabari rubbed Giannis the wrong way for what you were talking about, you know, thinking that this was his team? Well, I think for sure on the court, there was a huge rivalry. They went at each other that those first couple of days of training camp when, when Jabari got there. Giannis was like, I'm not, this is my team. Like, I'm not about to just, like, the throne is open. Like, I'm not going to just give you this just because you're supposed to be great. Um, and so they really just, like, both went at each other. It was insanely competitive. Um, I think at first it's not that they didn't like each other. It's just, it took time to develop a relationship and they eventually became friendly for sure. Um, and I think, you know, talking to Jabari now, he, he has a lot of respect for what Giannis has obviously turned into, but what he was like then, um, and his work ethic, he spoke really highly about the work ethic, but at the time, I mean, it was a battle between them. Um, it's nice to see that it did go into friendship and obviously Jabari's injury struggles, you know, might have facilitated that. But at first, oh, it was it was absolutely on. You talked about Giannis's work ethic. Where does that come from and how has it been cultivated? 
Yeah, it comes from watching his parents work really hard. I mean, he used to, I don't think a lot of people realize how late his mom would have to be out working. I mean, she would be out at like midnight trying to sell trinkets. And she never had to say we work hard. It's just, it's just observing and, um, and it absorbing into these lessons. And same with his dad. Um, his dad worked so hard and, you know, I think it was the NASA's who said, like, you know, to think he was the most successful person in the world to us and he didn't have a euro in his pocket. So I think that he was just used to the work ethic of trying to do whatever you can to scrounge up money all day. But part of it was also innate. You know, he knew that he was not as good as other players and he wanted to work hard and get better. Once he actually fell in love with basketball, you know, he hated it at first. But once he, like, actually fell in love with it, he was so determined. Nobody had to say, stay in the gym longer. I mean, he he refused to leave the gym. Um, and it's always been like that. And I know it's cliche. A lot of athletes we cover say that. But Giannis really is just a different type of worker. Um, there are a lot of times books people would come in at, like, 3 a.m. and he's still he's still working out. I think I told you the story months ago when I was doing uh, an NBA draft show from the the new training facility where Giannis was the only player that was there. So this is at the end of June, and he's there with Mariah, his girlfriend, and Suki Hobson is putting him through the paces, and he's pulling her on a sled up and down the court back and forth. And we've heard the stories about how... Yes, uh, some of the staff members had to kick him out of the gym. He's been, quote-unquote, locked out once or twice. I mean, how prevalent was that from some of the folks that you had spoken to that Giannis is just maybe working, if it's possible, maybe too hard for his own good? I think it's always been like that. I mean, since the beginning of time. But what just came to mind for me was after his dad passed away, he was in the gym, and they were like, you need to take time off. And he's just like, I can't. I, I don't want to. So, you know, even in the most extreme circumstance of like, you need to take time off, you need to grieve, he just couldn't. He just needs to be on that court. Um, You know, I I think that is what separates him. Um, People always talk about it, but it, it isn't, honestly, it isn't just the hours. It's like what he does. Like he's always, he never thinks he knows everything. Like he's always had that humility. Um, not just when he came here, but even now, it's like he he just always wants to learn. He always wants to get better. And he always likes to tell jokes, too. Where did he get a sense of humor from? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? He's been, he's been so funny since, like, the beginning. I, there's this one story, I have to tell it from the book, where um, so Giannis would go to his local church as a child to get free food because they would, like, have stuff for kids in need. Um, so it was, it was great. He could get a free meal. Um, and he hadn't eaten probably like the whole day on this afternoon. And he wanted to take his friend with him. And his friend um, also grew up in a really, really tough environment and did not have much money either. Um, but there was one problem. His friend is Muslim. And so his friend was like, I don't know if I can go in the church. Um, you know, I can't go in there. And Giannis is like, trust me, I'll handle this. And then they go to the church and Giannis is like, comes up to the priest with his friend and he's just like, um, hey, can my friend get some food? He's a very, very good Christian. Very good guy. <laughs> Look at him. He's a good Christian boy. You know, just like so charismatic. He's probably like 13 or something, 14. And the priest just looks at this other guy like, 
okay. And then they get free food. And then, and then Giannis turns to his friend and he's like, see, you got to trust me, bro. Um, and so I just, I love that story because it's just so Giannis. He's so funny. He's so heartwarming. He's so endearing. So he's always had that. <laughs> uh, one, one really sad story that it happened here in Milwaukee, obviously, was when his father, Charles, passed away suddenly of a heart attack. He was very young. He was 51 or 52 years old uh, when Charles Adetokounmpo passed away. What kind of effect did that have on young Giannis? And, you know, he's not the oldest. Uh, obviously, Thanasis is the oldest. But what kind of effect did that have on not Giannis the basketball player, but Giannis the man? I, it had a profound effect. Obviously, it was devastating in every way because Charles was the person that he looked up to his entire life. It, he was everything Giannis wanted to be. Um selfless, kind, hardworking, you know, Charles always had a smile on his face, even through the most miserable of conditions. Um, But I think for Giannis, it was almost, it was cruel beyond the sense of just losing your father, but it was cruel in the sense of he had gone through so much that it was like, he thought he was good, you know, like I'm, I'm here. I've, you know, my family, survived everything we got to america they got their visas we're okay and then it was like how could anything else happen so that was a part of it but then another part of him was like you know i'm not i'm not afraid of anything anymore because this has happened um and it is the worst thing that could possibly happen so i mean he changed a lot after that he didn't really talk about it even with those that he loved most it just it just fundamentally changed him but yeah there is nothing for him to fear anymore one thing i didn't realize is that there's a fifth brother francis correct right right yeah and he's not in the united states because we know about the basketball playing brothers does francis not play basketball what were you able to learn about him yeah so francis is actually the only one that didn't play basketball he liked soccer and he eventually so first of all i'll backtrack so um, Giannis would tell his childhood friends about him only, you know, after they got to know each other. It just randomly came up. Like he told one of his friends, like, hey, you know, there's there's more than um, my brother's here. You know, I have one more brother. And they'd be like, really? Like, where is he? And they're like, oh, he's back home in Nigeria. So, But he didn't really talk about him. And so the friends assumed like, oh, maybe he's staying with the grandparents. It was kind of a little murky. Um, but Giannis was so close with him, with Francis. And um, he's close with all the brothers. And eventually, Francis got an opportunity to play semi-pro soccer in Greece. And he worked out with one team, but it didn't end up working out. And then he transitioned into music. So he lives in Greece now, um, and he is putting out albums and stuff. Um, So, yeah, he does music, and he's really close with all the brothers. Maren Fader uh, kind of have to spend some time with us here talking about her new book, Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP. By the way, you can pre-order the book now, as I understand it. It, it, it. Do you know when it's going to ship? Yes, please. If people could pre-order it, I would really appreciate it. It will ship August. <laughs> I, I'm so glad you did that. It will uh, It will ship August 10th when it comes out. Okay. Um, but yeah, pre-orders really, really help. I'd appreciate it. August 10th. Pre-order it now. You can pre-order it like Amazon or, or anywhere you pre-order books, I assume? Anywhere. I know you have some good independents out there with Boswell and a couple other places. Um, anywhere books are sold. Barnes & Noble, Amazon, wherever. 
Outstanding. Um, a couple of other questions uh, about Giannis the person. I, I mentioned Mariah Riddlesbrigger, his girlfriend. Uh, they have one son, Liam. They're expecting another. How did they meet? What's that story? Yeah, it, this is one of my favorite parts in the book. Um, Tyler Ennis, I don't know if you remember him from the book. He actually sure. knew Mariah. Yeah, he knew Mariah um, a sibling of Mariah's and they were at summer league in 20, I want to say might've been 2014 to 15 or the summer after that, 2015 to 16 book is not in front of me. Forgive me, but <laughs> it was at it was at a summer league and, uh, Giannis just sees her. She's like interning for the NBA and, um, he's just like, Oh my God, like she is so beautiful. Like who is this person? And, um, he sees that she's talking with Tyler and, um, and then he's like, how do you know her? Like, what, can you introduce me? And, you know, Tyler's just like, this is weird. Giannis has never talked about girls. You know, a lot of his teammates kind of weren't sure if he's ever dated anyone because he's so serious about basketball. They like assumed that he had relationships in the past and they were like, I'm sure he's dated, but you know, he works so hard at basketball. He's so focused. I don't really know the details. And so, um, but this was like, wow, he sounds genuinely interested. So Tyler like figured it out and, you know, he hadn't heard much um, from them after and then saw that they were together. And then he was like, they should name middle name Tyler. Cause I helped with that. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I like that. That's a nice story. Was there ever like an aha moment for Giannis where it just kind of clicked? Because I remember, and I said this, and I, I tried to go back and find some of the shows that I did from 2014, maybe the 2015 season. And this is what I pretty consistently said about Giannis. I said it's going to go one of two ways. It's going to be either he's going to turn into a superstar or he's going to flop like some of the other quote-unquote projects that the Bucks have had, whether it was Joe Alexander or Ejian Leon or some of the other high draft picks, first-round draft picks that the Bucks have had and with the thought that they were going to develop them into a decent NBA player and it just never worked out for whatever reason. Uh, and that that was kind of my narrative for him for a while after watching him kind of struggle through his first couple of years in the NBA. But was there a moment that he can identify where it just kind of clicked for him that, you know, he was going to be an NBA superstar? I think it was maybe the third year with Jason Kidd um, or maybe even the second year. I know there was a string of triple doubles when which included Kobe's last season I think it was that season when he did that on Kobe and he they switched him to point guard um because as you know like he's always like technically had point guard abilities but I think Jason was like we're gonna we're gonna have you a point guard and this might have been after the all-star break that year and he was just phenomenal and doing that you know with like against Kobe was just so huge and um, after that game, he and Kobe talked in like a private room and it was like a life-changing moment for Giannis. And he was just like so giddy in the locker room after. And I, so I think that is one of the major moments, um, where it's like, I'm not just good, but I could, I could be a superstar, but I think there were like so many glimmers, like that 2014 to 15 playoff series, uh, with the Bulls, you know, where he, um, what do you want to call what he did to Dunleavy? The Dunleavy incident. Right. We'll call it. Yeah, that's what um, we call it. 
<laughs> Mike Dudley, who played for the Bucks, his dad played for and coached the Bucks. He oh grew up here, God. and all of a sudden, he becomes public enemy number one. Totally, and the and the Bulls players I talked to were making fun of him after because they were like, "Oh, it's Giannis's city now. It's not your city anymore. You're not you're not you're not Milwaukee's son anymore." That's right. Um, and that was so fun. He was so offended, like Giannis's city. Like, sure, okay. Um, but yeah, I think that was a big moment too. <laughs> what was his relationship with Kobe like? Because I, I remember I was in the gaggle of reporters that first spoke with Giannis uh, shortly after Kobe's tragic death. How, how close were they? Um, they were. I mean, they were close in the sense that they spoke many times, and you know, he met Gigi, the daughter, and. Um, Giannis is, I mean, Kobe has given Giannis invaluable advice over the years, such as um, that famous quote where Kobe said to him, like, you got to be a kid, meaning you got to have the same curiosity that one has as a child, where you just ask a million questions, and that leads to a lifelong uh, passion for learning. Um, and so they worked out together. They they definitely talked. Um, it was devastating for uh, Giannis because. Um, it, he had this quote, I don't know if you were there that day, but he told Milwaukee reporters, like, you work all your life for this opportunity or something like that, and then it's just gone. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you put in all this stuff, and it's just gone, and you're just gone. And I think he was just so shocked by that, and um, it's just, it's surreal. And his brothers were shocked, too. Um, like, Kostos was telling me that, like, we just couldn't even process it, like, as a family. Um so that was really debilitating, for sure. As we wrap things up uh, in the next couple of moments with Miran Fader, her new book, Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP. Pre-order it. Go to wherever you get your books and pre-order it. It will ship on August 10th. Um, a question that I think you can ask of just about any professional athlete or, or any professional entertainer when they achieve the highest level that you can achieve in you know someone's line of work in Giannis's case, in your opinion, how much do you think is God-given and how much do you think is hard work and determination? It's a great question. I think, well, okay, I think that he was blessed with, obviously, God-given size and the ability to grow two inches once you get to the NBA, which is absurd and unheard of. <laughs> um, and it would have completely changed his draft position. But um, the athleticism, all of that is totally God-given and, and the vision. But we know that a majority is hard work because he was so scrawny that rookie year. I mean, it, it was, the, the parts of the book that are most hilarious to me is when he's in front of the mirror flexing and, like, telling people to come over and look at his growing muscles <laughs> because <laughs> he looks like a Greek god now. But back then, he was just so skinny like Jason Kidd said like he's literally a feather like he will fall over so hard work literally transformed his entire body right like this is a different human Mm -hmm. um but I think that there's so many things for him left to accomplish and to change into and so I know he has the capacity to because he has changed so much from rookie year um but the things that you can't teach that are God-given also go beyond the size. His mind, the way he thinks, the way he doesn't give up, the way he shows up with heart and intensity, how much he cares. Um, he used to cry after losses um, growing up. 
I think that you just kind of can't teach somebody to care that much about the game. It's in you or it's not. Um, and he's always had a passion. So I think that he was just really blessed with this drive that very few understand and, and can emulate. So how do you follow this one up? Giannis was a pretty... Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, are we going to win a title or not? Notice I said we. Sure, um, okay. But... You can throw yourself in there. Absolutely. <laughs> can I Can I be a Bucks fan? Of course. <laughs> Absolutely. You've got, well, listen, you've got... When the book does come out, you've got to come back to Milwaukee, and you've got to Absolutely. sign some books at some of the bookstores that are around here, and, and you know, you got to get your Bucks gear, and you can get whatever you want. But I've got to think that this had to be a fascinating just process a fascinating story for you to go through as a writer interviewing everyone that you went through in the process of putting this book together to kind of weave all of these tapestries together i don't know how many more compelling stories there are of a kid who was penniless on the streets of athens you know literally one year and then the next year he's in the national basketball association i, I mean it, it's almost unheard of. And then you know, the other stories of family and how he learned English and how he met his girlfriend and, and how he grew his own family. I mean, that's pretty compelling stuff. Yeah, not going to lie. I might. I'm a uh, could I be a one hit wonder? Don't know. But I think I highly <laughs> doubt that, Mary. Come I, on now. <laughs> I, I, I think his story is so unique that there might never be another one like this. But to your point, like it is so improbable, hence the title. But what I hope people take away is that, you know, it has been framed as a feel good story because it is a feel good story. It is a fairy tale. It is literally insane how this happened. But there are also like really sad, darker parts to the story, the racism he experienced, um, the difficulties coming to America, how hard, you know, the immigration system is, how really tough it is for current Black Greek players to rise to where he is. I follow some childhood friends that are also um, Nigerian Greek, and the way they are unable to ascend in the way that he has is heartbreaking. So, you know, I think that um, his story deserves so much praise, and he deserves so much praise because, you know, he's just a wonderful human being who has defied the odds. But the odds are so high, and I, I hope that people can uh, appreciate what he has gone through. And for as as famous as he is here in Milwaukee and, and here in the United States, I mean, triple that, quadruple that in Europe. He's, right. he's got to be the most famous Greek person, I would imagine, right now, worldwide. Yeah, he really is. And um, But he never forgot where he came from. I really, you know, parts that didn't make the book is just recently he went back last year, I'd say recently, but last year, you know, back to the old church, that church that wow. we talked about and he gave out food and just stuff like that. You know, I think it's, he always goes back to Sepolia and he always says hi to everyone. Um, you know, I, I interviewed 221 people for the book and not one person had a negative thing to say about him. That is very hard in this day and age. It's impossible. Um, but every, it's literally impossible. Every single person he's like ever come into contact with speaks highly of him and respects him. Um, and that's just really cool. We don't really encounter athletes like that um, who everyone is kind of in agreement. Yeah, that's a really good person. 
She is Mirren Fader. Her new book, uh, which you can pre-order right now, it'll ship on August 10th, Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP. And who knows, by the time the book ships and by the time you're in Milwaukee signing some copies, I'm going to pre-order mine, so you're going to have to sign mine as well. Uh, yes. Perhaps by then, he will not only be an NBA MVP, but an Ooh. NBA champion as well. Again, uh, I don't know when people are going to be listening to this, but as we tape this, eight wins to go for the Bucks as they get set to take on the Atlanta Hawks in the Eastern Conference Finals. Marin Fader, thank you so much for the time. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time because I've known that this book is going to come out for a while as well, and I, for one, cannot wait to read it. Oh, thank you so much. You you are so kind, and um, I'm so glad we did this. And I, I am looking forward to seeing you in Milwaukee. Let's just manifest it all. Let's let, <laughs> let, let's make it happen. I look forward to it. Mirren, continued success, absolute success with the book. I know it's going to sell here in Wisconsin and in Milwaukee. And I think for not only does this sound like a great basketball story, but it sounds like a great human story as well. So I think it's going to sell well everywhere. Thank you. I, I said to my publisher, you don't need to know anything about basketball to get into this book. So I know family members of mine that don't know anything, friends. Um, I'm excited for them to read it, too. So thank you so much for having me. All right. There she goes. Mirren Fader. Again, the book Giannis, the improbable rise of an NBA MVP. You can pre-order it now. And again, it will ship on August 10th. And I can't wait to read this book. It sounds like, again, not only is it a great story of one of our own athletes here in the state of Wisconsin, but a great human interest story as well. All right. That'll do it for this edition of the Doug Russell podcast. As always, you can hit us up on our socials uh, at Doug Russell pod on both Twitter and on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us on our website as well. That's where all of our shows are, www.dougrusselpod.com. You can follow me on Twitter, just very simply, at Doug Russell. And uh, again, uh, Giannis, the improbable rise of an NBA MVP. Thanks so much to Mirren Fader for uh, her time in talking about this book that, again, I cannot wait to read. All right. Game one, as I don't know, again, I don't know when you're listening to this. Game one, Bucks, Hawks, tonight at Pfizer Forum. Go Bucks, looking forward to maybe having, again, eight wins away, maybe having a championship parade down Wisconsin Avenue. It has been a long, long time. And the last time there was a championship parade, it was for a team that had just lost the World Series. How about a winning championship parade in downtown Milwaukee? I think we're all looking forward to that. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the show. Have a good one. Go Bucks, and we'll talk to you next time right here on the Doug Russell Podcast.